Thank you for joining us today for a very timely and relevant webinar, Preventing Claims in This Hot Seller's Market. I'm Laura Prouse with Crest Insurance Services. Today, we welcome attorney Jim Messick from White & Steel. Jim's practice focuses on litigation and he has been defending real estate professionals for 20 years. He is also appointed to the Colorado Bar Association Real Estate Section Council. And Jim has worked with Crest for over 10 years as a member of our legal panel. Along with Jim, we have Dave Miller, Regional Vice President with Fidelity National Home Warranty. Dave manages the Crest Advantage Home Warranty Plan, which ties in with Crest's e insurance. We have a lot to cover, so we'll get started. Dave, I'll hand it off to you. Well, thanks so much, Laura, for having us today. Uh, this seminar, I think, is going to be great for not only all of your Crest e members in Colorado, but just real estate professionals in general. And, and Jim, uh, in speaking to him, has such an amazing pulse on what's going on there. I think uh, your viewers are really going to um, uh, show and have value in this. I want to talk real quick, if I may, about uh, Fidelity National Home Warranty and how they have teamed up with Crest Insurance, the Crest E&O, to provide their members with a little bit extra protection when they use what we call the Crest Advantage Home Warranty. And you can see that logo right behind me. It's a Fidelity National Home Warranty product, and it's called the Crest Advantage Plan, and it gives added features and protection to all of your members that have E&O insurance in Colorado. Number one, if the agent or broker is named in a lawsuit on the transaction and they placed the Crest Advantage home warranty on that transaction, uh, and there's a lawsuit later and there's still a Crest E&O member, they could get their E&O deductible reduced up to $5,000. And in many cases of your, your Colorado E&O members, that's gonna give them a zero deductible, which is a great value. We also have something that's called the seller's protection plan. And when they place the warranty on the transaction and the Crest E&O member represents the sellers on the transaction, they're going to automatically enroll their sellers for $50,000 of E&O. Now in this competitive market, when people are trying to figure out how do I have more value than the real estate office or the agent down the street? How do I get this listing? The Crest E&O members on this call have a very competitive advantage over the other agents that are not with Crest and that if they sit down with that seller, they're going to tell them they're going to do a great job listing their property. Um, they might do a little staging. They're going to bring in their own photographer, but because they're going to list their property with, in this case, Dave Miller Realty, they're going to place the Crest Advantage home warranty on the transaction for the buyers. And when they do, it's going to protect the seller for $50,000 of E&O in the event they, need, uh, they get named in a lawsuit. And Jim can probably chime in or, or talk later to it, but about 95% of the, the E&O lawsuits out there are buyers suing sellers. So when you represent sellers, you have a little bit more of a target on your back. Using the Crest Advantage Home Warranty really, really gives you added value as a listing agent, but protects your sellers uh, down the road. And then the third feature of the warranty is that it's 13 months of protection versus 12. I mean, who doesn't want an extra month of protection, keeping those buyers happy uh, with that coverage for their, you know, their uh, plumbing, their electrical, their dishwasher, their range, their oven, their microwave, all those items uh, has tremendous value. So Fidelity National Home Warranty, uh, our uh, account executive and our sales executive in Colorado is Robert Bird, and uh, he will be on uh, distributing this seminar to you guys. But um, he represents the product and uh, anything that you guys need, uh, he can help you with that with an order or uh, explanation of the benefits or anything like that. So uh, that's my spiel on the home warranty. Great value to all the members that have Crest uh, for E&O in Colorado. So 
Uh, thank you for that, uh, Jim. Let's let's bring you in. Uh, I mean, you can't turn the channel and not see how crazy the real estate market all you know over the entire country uh, is is going right now. We're going to obviously talk about Colorado. What is what is causing this unprecedented market? Good morning, Dave, um, and good morning, Lauren. Uh, first of all, thanks to, to both of you and to Chris for allowing me to speak to, to your uh, insurance, your clients uh, today. Uh, so yes, here in, in Denver, in the metro area and all over Colorado, uh, some places more than others, the real estate market has hit a new level of insanity uh, with just the limited amount of inventory, the demand, uh, obviously we've got the effects of the pandemic, uh, we've got uh, investors coming in who want a safe place for their money uh, to guard against inflation. And so we just have, have this convergence. And in the meantime, there's been a lack of development to meet the demand on top of affordable housing requirements. So it is like this perfect storm. Uh, and so I was looking at uh, some statistics from the Denver metro area brokers, uh, this going back to, to 2008, and, and we seem to have crossed this twilight zone with respect to inventory versus uh, demand. And, and in July of 2020, uh, for the first time ever, uh, according to the, the DMAR stats, the uh, monthly end active listings dipped below the month end closings. So we are seeing more closings per month than active listings per month. And it's just like I say, the twilight zone. And so this, uh, this market is just creating all new sorts of claims we never imagined we'd ever see or expect to see. Um, that we're having to deal with. Right. Well, and I spoke to the importance of, for the Crest E&O members on this call, the, the importance of and the features of using a Fidelity National Home Warranty on the transaction. But can you speak to home warranties in general? I know, you know, if I'm guessing, they're probably only on about maybe 25% of the transactions in your state. And in this market, maybe even less, uh, which we can talk about later. But what, what value do they have on transactions in your state? Dave, they, they bring a tremendous value, uh, not only for the professional real estate brokers I represent, but also their clients. And that includes whether they're the seller's agent or the buyer's agent. Uh, this is a product that benefits both the buyers, obviously, if something goes wrong with an appliance, let's say, or they discover something um, that may have or should have been disclosed. And then that protects the seller or potentially protects the seller, depending on, on what the claim is. Um, I just think it's, it's a great resource for sellers to have, especially in this market where buyers are paying a premium. Sellers are not willing to, to do inspection objection type repairs. They wanna sell it as is. Well that's not going to protect them necessarily when a claim arises and the buyer decides to bring a claim. And I can tell you in my entire career of defending these 
these claims uh, for failure to disclose, failure to advise uh, against the broker, uh, where they also bring claims against the seller. I've never seen a homeowner's policy step up and protect the seller, ever. Those claims are just routinely denied. And sellers don't even fight them uh, anymore here in Colorado. I I've never seen a successful um, deck action for coverage by a seller under their homeowner's policy. So this is the only product that I'm aware of out there for sellers to use for a limited benefit or any type of benefit to, to get these claims resolved. And you know, here, another weird statistic, uh, you know, not only have we entered the twilight zone, but now we've entered an even more bizarre dimension that in Denver, uh, the Denver metro area, there are more million dollar homes sold every month than there are homes of $400,000 or less. That just amazes me. So for this past month of March, there were 429 closings of $1 million and over in real estate. Uh, and to compare that, there were 241 homes that closed of in the $300,000 range, 29 in the $200,000 range, and there were three for less than 200,000. So we're seeing very expensive homes moving. Those homes have very expensive appliances. So if those appliances break down, this is the product that, that those buyers, sellers, and even real estate brokers can, can benefit from. That's crazy. We're seeing uh, track homes uh, in the million dollar range. It's, uh, it, it's crazy. Uh, hey, talking about uh, obviously being a seller's market and, and we're getting multiple offers on pretty much every house. What are some of the issues you see with the, with, with the multiple offers? Yeah, so one of the more common claims that are cropping up that I never thought I'd see in my career when I started uh, defending real estate brokers was where a seller accepts multiple offers. So here in, in Colorado, uh, there are software programs. Uh, one of the more popular ones is CPM e-contracts that uh, real estate brokers use. Uh, in which it's very convenient to just forward offers as they come in to the seller. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of sellers uh, don't appreciate or understand what they're getting. Sometimes they think, oh, I need to acknowledge an offer. And so then they'll start clicking and put, placing their electronic signature on these contracts. Um, and then they hit send and it goes out and what they've done is they've accepted multiple offers to sell the same home. And of course, who do they blame? Frequently, they blame their real estate broker for not explaining exactly what they're getting, instructing them not to sign anything. Um, and so what I, I've seen brokers doing is that instead of forwarding these contracts, they will now put together a spreadsheet and summarize the contracts. Uh, another issue we're seeing is, you know, brokers really want to go that extra mile and help out their clients. And so they'll work with uh, buyers to write love letters. 
uh, to try and convince the, the seller to sell to this particular buyer. And that's also problematic uh, because you get into fair housing issues. So if uh, you know a young couple writes, oh, we can imagine our, our children running down the hallways to celebrate Christmas. Well, right there, you've got fair housing issues with aid, religion, um, you know, it just wow. creates all sorts of problems. And so brokers have to be very careful when representing both buyers as to what they can do, how they can advocate for their clients. In addition for sellers about information received, because you don't want to set your seller up for a fair housing claim. And you don't definitely don't want to set them up to have to pay somebody not to buy a house so they can proceed with one of the offers they accepted. Wow, that's crazy. The love letters were so popular for so many years and got so many families homes and now they're a detriment. So that's, uh, that's very interesting. So let's talk about the buyers for a second. They're obviously willing to pay uh, asking price and, and we're seeing over asking price. What are the, the challenges with appraisals and financing when they go above and beyond the list price? Okay, that creates a, a lot of problems. One of the issues that uh, I commonly see are, are appraisal gap uh, terms that they will put into the offers. Uh, so it just creates a lot of uncertainty if the wording is not done precisely and clearly articulates what exactly is being offered. Um, a lot of people think, well, I'll just put in a dollar amount uh, above the appraisal and, and cover that. Well, it doesn't always happen as imagined or expected. Sometimes the appraisals can change and then, well, is there still that gap? You know, what's covered? Um, how much of that gap? And so buyers see things definitely from their perspective and sellers are thinking, oh, well, this is gonna work out the way I imagine it. And sometimes it doesn't work out either way. So the problems I'm seeing with the like terms like appraisal gaps is that uh, the language that brokers will, will try and type in and the additional provisions creates a lot of uncertainty, creates a lot of doubt. Uh, and so if there's any, any chance of things going off the rails, uh, best advice is, is to have an attorney uh, work with you in preparing that contract language um, and just managing expectations. Um, you know, you got to talk to your seller or buyers, excuse me, if they're willing to do the appraisal gap, how much, where are those funds going to come from? You know, if this offer gets selected, um, then you are going to have to perform or you're going to potentially lose your earnest money. Sure. Well, of course, in this frenzy, there's probably delays in getting inspections and appraisals. You know, what kind of issues are you seeing and, and how do these folks keep the transaction on schedule without it just going completely off the rails with these delays? Yeah. Yes. So obviously appraisers are in high demand at this time. Uh, Home inspectors are also in demand. Uh, and so, you know, the 
sellers are expecting a quick turnaround time. They want to get to closing the sooner the better. And right now, uh, from the April, yeah, the April statistics, you know, the average days on market here in the Denver metro area is 13 days. And that's the lowest amount of time I've ever seen uh, days on market since I've been practicing. Uh, and so sellers have these expectations that things are going to happen quickly. That, uh, look, I listed my property the first weekend, I got 20 offers, 12 were for cash. So let's go, let's move it, let's get to the closing. And so they don't want to do the amend extends to drag things out. And so the buyer's agent is really going to have to be Johnny on the spot with making sure the deadlines are met, the objections are put in time. If the buyer does want to terminate, then they have to notify the seller to meet that deadline, and they got to give accurate, honest reasons for terminating it. So you don't want to set your buyer up for a bad faith claim or failure to act, you know, fairly uh, and risk losing their earnest money because we're seeing sellers who are super aggressive and saying, you missed a deadline or you gave a, a false reason for wanting to terminate. You know, I've lost, you know, so many opportunities. Uh, I'm going to take at least part of the earnest money. Absolutely. So uh, buyer's agents really have a lot of work to do. Yeah, they have a lot of work to do, but you know, it's just, it's, it's funny, sellers are really calling the shots, it seems like in this market. And, and when you have uh, an inspection where there's repairs and stuff like that, a lot of them are saying, you know, as is, and if you don't like it, we'll go to the next seven offers. Uh, what can buyers agents do to protect their buyers and themselves if, if the sellers agree to waive repairs or even waive an inspection. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff in there, right? Yes. So that's another uh, type of contingency we're seeing is that uh, in order to make these offers more attractive to the seller, buyers are agreeing to waive inspections uh, or objections, uh, including health safety issues, uh, you know, but the buyer's agent has to advise their client, look, I know you really want this home. I know it's competitive. I know this is, you know, your 10th offer and the previous nine have been rejected. I know you have a, a deadline and need a place to live because your kids need to go to school and all that. But you have to go into this with your eyes open and know what you're buying. You still need to get that inspection. You still need to you know, figure out if there are foundation or structural problems um, because you might be buying a bigger headache than not having a home for the time being. Uh, so it's still gotta be advised and recommended by the buyer's agent to get inspections done. Mm -hmm. Similarly, the seller, even though they're thinking they're selling the, the home as is, needs to know that they still have a duty to disclose latent defects or any adverse material conditions they have actual knowledge of. So you know, the seller's agent still has to, to counsel the seller as to their duties and disclosures uh, to avoid 
having lawsuits brought against everybody. Sure. Well, and we know that uh, agents, and we even see it on the TV shows, I joke about the million dollar listings and stuff like that, and how in the past it was, they just, stuff just fell into their lap. And, and I think we all agree, agents are busting their rears more than they've ever, ever done it. Uh, to get a listing is, is impossible. But then, you know, when you're bringing buyers to the table, there are seven offers. How do you compete with those other ones? And, you know, agents are working hard and deals are falling apart. So is it common that agents, you know, become the target of a disgruntled buyer or seller if a deal falls apart? And what can an agent do to protect themselves when and if it falls apart? Yes. So, yeah, commonly brokers are the target um, because they have E&O insurance. Uh, also, you know, sellers are also a target because buyers think I paid a premium. They made a lot of extra money. They have equity. They should compensate me. And so the best way is for brokers to do what they do, to act as the professionals they are. Uh, understand their duties, their obligations, um, be there to counsel their clients, uh, provide information on issues that they actually know about, uh, recommend, you know, experts uh, on issues that they know about but are not experts themselves in. Um, so, yes, um, and they got to be aware of the deadlines if you're buyer's agent of when to terminate, how to terminate, and they got to be really careful with, with drafting amendments, extensions. Um, for example, you know, we had a, a, a case earlier this year where the buyer was having problems meeting the deadline uh, due to trying to get loan approval. The seller was getting anxious, they wanted to close. Um, and, and so one of the brokers wrote an amend extend with this language saying buyer agrees if contract is not closed by February something 2021 and a business day seller reserves the right to put property back on market and will take backup offers. So two very different ways to, to look at that additional provision. Um, the seller's thinking, okay, the contract's terminated if you do not close. Right. Buyer's thinking, okay, yeah, if I don't close by that date, they can go get backup offers. Right. Um, so, and of course, in this instance, the, the seller went ahead and accepted a backup offer. So now the seller's under contract twice for the same property. And, and buyers are so desperate to hang on to anything they've got under contract. And even if they're missing deadlines, that they're going to go out and hire a lawyer to sue the seller for specific performance. And of course, the brokers get dragged into that. Nice. So you got to be very careful on when a contract can be terminated, when it and how it can be extended. So again, it's just got to be extremely careful, constantly diligent working really hard. And, and I feel bad for, for seller's agents now. Uh, and the write-up I did for Cress, one of the issues we're seeing that uh, I didn't cover in the article is that seller's agents are now getting beaten up 
by the seller. The seller doesn't want to pay the commission they agreed to in the listing contract. And so I've gotten calls, desperate calls from brokers at the closing table saying, we're closing and my client, the seller, just told the title agent not to pay my commission because the seller believes I didn't work hard enough or I didn't do enough to deserve the, the 2% or 1.8 or 2.2% commission. And so again, it's all about managing expectations, working with your client. And so now we're trying to figure out how we deal with those commission disputes. Sure. Let me ask you a question about those addendums and extensions from uh, that those agents, is that, a, is that a form that the state has, the real estate board has, or are these forms that they're writing themselves? Um, and is that something that they could use the risk management services at Crest for to review before they you know, go down that route? So a couple of questions. So yes, the Colorado Real Estate Commission has approved an amendment extension okay. uh, form that are used uh, to, to modify contracts. Uh, there are also forms for notice to terminate. So in, in Colorado, brokers are not allowed to practice law and drafting contracts is considered practicing law. So the Colorado State Commission has developed forms in which brokers are allowed to fill in blanks, provide very basic additional provisions. Uh, and, and under the Conway Bogue case, uh, which was decided back in the 50s, this was the compromise that was reached. Uh, so yes, it is a form of practicing law, but it is very limited to filling out form contracts. Uh, your question about, is that something that, that we review as part of the Crest Risk Management Program? Not typically. Uh, typically, we deal best with uh, potential claims and how to avoid claims. We're not transaction lawyers, we're litigation attorneys. Uh, from time to time, we do get involved uh, with some transaction issues, uh, but it's always best if the broker refers their client, whether it be a buyer or seller, to an attorney, if it is more involved in terms of contract drafting than just a, a very basic, simple additional provision uh, or fill in the blank. And so, yeah, uh, one of the things we frequently tell is you have a duty to advise your client to talk with an attorney. This is a legal issue. You are not allowed to practice law. Tell your client to go get an attorney. Uh, because when we get the calls, we can't really uh, ethically advise buyers or sellers as to what their rights are. You know, we can try and help the broker to manage their risk, but that's where our focus is under the risk management program. Perfect. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, let's talk about contingencies. Uh, we know that they are important uh, in offers. Um, can you talk a little bit about the different kinds of contingencies you're seeing and what agents can do to make sure they are clearly uh, communicated to stay out of trouble? Yeah. So. Again, the types of contingencies we see are the appraisal gap, uh, the contract to purchase, uh, 
contingent upon the buyer's sale of their property. Uh, so it creates like this domino effect of buyer sells their property, buys property from seller, and then seller buys another property. So we routinely see those types of, of setups. Uh, also, we see contingencies where a cash offer will be made, but the buyer is reserving the right to uh, check out, see if they can obtain financing if they wanna go that route. So again, it is extremely critical that the agents drafting the contracts, the amend extends, you know, provide clear language. And if there's any chance that things can go off the rails, uh, again, it's always advisable to consult with an attorney and have that attorney, a transaction uh, attorney, prepare any uh, complicated additional provisions. Other contingencies we're seeing is uh, post-closing occupancy. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, uh, you know, buyers are getting really creative. Um, you know, they're, you know, changing expectations um, and that, you know, requires some flexibility. Like uh, we're, now we're seeing where buyers will team up and jointly buy a property together. Uh, like, so they can't afford or can't find or get under contract a home, but if they combine their resources, they qualify for the million dollar home. Sure. And so we're seeing these creative things like that. And those expectations have to be worked out, you know, buyer to buyer, and then also buyer to seller. Sure. Well, and talking about and following up on contingencies, it's, it's, so easy to sell and let's say i've just sold my house it was it was really easy to do so but one of the contingencies may be that i need to find something else and yep. we all know how difficult that is so how are those contingencies dragging a deal down and what what advice do you have for that yeah so a lot of buyers uh want to take advantage i'm sorry a lot of sellers want to take advantage of the market now sure. and sell their home and they think fine you know, I'm just going to upgrade. I'm going to go to that next level, that next price bracket, you know, cash in on the equity I have and get a bigger and better home. And that's great. But, you know, from the statistics I showed you, you know, everything is very, very contested. It's very competitive out there. And it's not as easy to get into the million dollar home or the $900,000 home as it had been in the past. And so, again, the seller's agent needs to work with the seller and get them to understand, educate them on market conditions, and that it may not just be as easy as sell my home today, I move out on the day of closing, and then I move in and close in on the, the new home. And so this has to be communicated because we've gotten those claims, door licensing complaints, against seller's agents saying, you know, my, my agent couldn't get me out of this contract that I signed and I've got no place to live, no backup plan. And my job is still here in Colorado. Um, and now I have to pay for a hotel that's twice as expensive. Or during the pandemic, we saw people who were trying to move to a, another home 
Like for example, we had a, a couple that lived in a, a semi-rural area uh, and they were going to buy a, uh, a condo here in, in downtown Denver. And they thought they would be safer in the semi-rural area than in, a, in the middle of a metro area. Uh, and so they wanted to back out. Uh, and so then you get specific performance type claims. Uh, and, and we're seeing more and more specific performance type claims. Uh, I was talking to a, a real estate attorney who had never seen a buyer sue a seller to force the seller to sell the home uh, in 30 years. And when I talked to her, she had five of those claims in the past month. Mm. So it's just really weird claims we're seeing now. Crazy. Let's talk about, uh, we've talked about buyers and sellers here and how they are moving and, and buying and selling. What about real estate professionals uh, that change brokerages? Uh, what are some of the important things to remember for those folks to remember when they do that? And, and how about in the middle of a transaction uh, that could be you know, a couple of weeks long? What if I move from Remax to another, you know, to a Keller Williams in the middle of the transaction? What are some things that, that agents need to know and brokers need to know on that? Yes. So not only is it sellers taking advantage of this market, but the successful brokers who are able to get listings, get deals done, and, and keep clients happy, uh, find those investors who are willing to invest the cash in real estate here in Colorado. Those brokers are having a tremendous amount of job options right now. And so we are seeing brokers moving from one brokerage to another, or some brokers are just starting their own brokerages. Uh, and, you know, we all applaud that and we all want to see brokers improve and, and do well. Uh, but there's a lot of thought that has to go into it and you have to anticipate and manage your risk. So we're seeing conflicts between brokerages when one broker leaves to go to another brokerage. Um, and sometimes it's not always clear in the broker's independent contractor agreement of does the listing go with the broker? Who has duties to supervise as the employing broker that contract, including providing contract review, providing uh, closing support, uh, and where does that commission go? And how is that commission split out? Okay, so we're seeing those fights between broker, old brokerage, and old brokerage and new brokerage. Uh, and then there's expectations from the new brokerage uh, that the broker is going to bring their book of business with them. So the, the broker has to read their independent contractor agreement read the office policy manual and understand the expectations of the brokerage they're going from to the brokerage they're going to. The other issue I see is where brokers find themselves in a no man's land of coverage under their E&O insurance. So if there was a, a closing at the old brokerage and the broker was under a group E&O policy uh, and then goes to a new brokerage, and then after the transition, a claim arises, um, there may not be coverage under the old E&O insurance. And so 
the broker has to do their homework. They need to be talking to the people at Crass before they make the move of, am I gonna be covered under this policy for a future claim? Or, you know, there's a potential claim that hasn't been made that I'm aware of, what's gonna happen when I make that transition? So there are insurance products out there, there are tail policies, there are also individual policies. Uh, and so a lot of brokers don't understand when they, they read these policies, you know, they think, oh, it says completed acts somewhere in the policy and, and they don't understand or appreciate what completed acts means when they switch brokerages or switch policies. Uh, and, and so the brokers gotta be calling up press, asking these questions, making sure that they've got coverage. You know, just because they have coverage to satisfy the Colorado Real Estate Commission and DORA regulations showing that they did have insurance, that doesn't always mean that insurance covered a particular claim in the past. And so brokers need to understand claims made, occurrence-based type policies. Can you give me a temperature on how errors and emissions insurance plays in a real estate transaction? So obviously Laura and I are here in California, we're extremely litigious. And sometimes in a real estate transaction, we hear that the buyers say, oh, the, the other side has E&O insurance. So they have deep pockets, so let's go after them. What's, what's the temperature in Colorado uh, on stuff like that? Are, are they using that to maybe complain when they wouldn't otherwise? Yes. So, and there's multiple factors that go into it. So we've, we've got a lot of transplants coming into Colorado. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and they bring their culture, their backgrounds, uh, the way they do things from where they come from. They're, they're also newcomers. And so the way they do things may be different than the way it was traditionally done here in Colorado. They don't have the community ties. Um, and we also have a, a very, very proactive uh, government regulatory body that, that oversees licensees. Uh, and you know, you've heard me refer to DORA, it's the Department of Regulatory Agencies. Uh, and within that, there's the Division of Real Estate. And then within the Division of Real Estate, we've got the Colorado Real Estate Commission. We've got the Board of Mortgage Loan Originators. We've got the Board of Appraisers uh, who all oversee real estate professional licenses. Uh, and if you go to the DORA website, you will see that they have their mission right at the top that says, our mission is consumer protection. And they take that mission extremely seriously. And so we have seen a, a tremendous ramp up in the number of licensing complaints starting in 2007, 2008, right before the subprime mortgage bubble burst. Uh, with, you know, lots of fraud going on at that time, unfortunately. So that got cleaned up, but, but still people, uh, buyers especially, uh, and oftentimes it's broker complaints against another broker because of, of competition and the sorts of things that we see. 
uh, and so we we see a lot of um, people thinking, you know, I don't have to file the lawsuit right now. I'll just file the licensing complaint and let the government build my case for me. And then once I get the favorable investigation result and sanctions, then I'll use that to, for my lawsuit. And so it's a double barrel shotgun here for for brokers and the, the risk of lawsuits um, and then licensing complaints. And so I stay very, very busy. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, even when the brokers don't do anything wrong, you know, you, you don't want to take the risk with with your professional license, which is how you make a living, how you support your family. It's also your personal and professional reputation of how you get clients, your standing in the community. And so we take all those claims very, very serious and, and how we manage the risk. So yes, the climate here in Colorado is very litigious, highly regulated, and you need to know what those regulations are. Well, like we always say, you don't have to do anything wrong to be sued. And that's unfortunately when you get into that, uh, that climate where people are litigious, um, you know, you open yourself up to that. So, so the million dollar question here, Jim, how do we get back to a market where it's, a, it's, it's great for buyers and sellers and there's five months of inventory? I'm not going to put you, your feet to the fire to say when, but how do we get back there? What, what's going to happen? Well, several things have to happen. <laughs> One, we got to get through this pandemic, first of all. And then we need to see where things are going to uh, stand with regards, are people going to be working from home? Are they going to be commuting uh, back to work? Or is it going to be a combination? I expect it's going to be a hybrid um, individual to individual type situation, employer, employer type situation. So we're going to have to see how that plays out, uh, and you know we got to get construction going again. We got to build homes. Um, you know, we, there's just that's part of the problem is there's been uh, a lag in new home construction since the bubble burst in 2012. Uh, that's going to be hard to do in some places. You know, Colorado. You know, we run up against the mountains. You know. Uh, and there that's, you know, engineering problems aside, you get forest problems. Uh, so forest fires can become urban fires, which we've seen in Colorado Springs in the past. Um, so, you know, it, <laughs> that's a very complicated question and I, I wish I had the crystal ball to answer that, but it's gonna take time. It's gonna be a multi, pronged approach. There's not going to be a silver bullet solution. We're going to have to look at uh, everything should be on the table from auxiliary dwelling units to multifamily residencies um, to, to getting more development going. And that, you know, impacts, you know, legislation regarding construction defect reforms. Um, so, it's going to be a complicated, drawn out process. Complicated and a complicated question. I'm sorry to put you on the spot there. It's <laughs> like going to the doctor for your shoulder. And when you're there, you're like, you know, my ear hurts too. And then can you check my elbow? So right. while I've got Jim on the, on the call, of course, I'm going to ask him uh, that question. But uh, Jim, I appreciate your time today. I just, 
I kind of chuckle because I love your demeanor. It's just right here. It's calm and, and collected. And I just imagine outside those windows of your office, it's like a carnival. You know, there's fireworks going off. People are running around buying and selling and, and you're just so calm. And I appreciate uh, your, um, your insight today and your feedback and uh, answering the questions for all of the, uh, the real estate professionals in Colorado. So I, I appreciate you very much. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate this opportunity to work with you and, and with the wonderful people at Crest. Uh, anything I can do to help the real estate professionals here in Colorado, uh, you know I'm going to do it because um, I, I see what they're facing every day. Their job is not easy. It is not easy at all, um, despite certain perceptions. Um, and unfortunately, uh, real estate brokers here in Colorado have a target on their back. And at some point, they are going to see a door complaint, or they will be sued or have a claim made. And my whole philosophy is I want to get them back to doing what they do best, buying and selling real estate instead of spending time with lawyers in courtrooms, judges, juries, because there is an opportunity cost to that. Amen. Amen to that. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Laura Prowse, back to you. Perfect. We can see why Jim is such an asset. He actually uh, lives and breathes Cress's mission statement as well. We don't want our clients focusing on litigation and everything that's going wrong in their lives. We want them to be successful, to get out there and work with their clients and build their business. So Jim, thank you. You and your team are a tremendous asset for us. And Dave, thank you as well. Uh, great job. Um, really appreciated the questions. Very timely, unfortunately very relevant yeah. to this market, but we'll see where we are in you know, six months from now if we're doing this again on a completely different subject. So I just want to thank you both um, for today, for the, your time and just being so prepared and, and great, great dialogue. And to everybody who's watching, um, thank you for watching. And we do have this webinar. It will be on the Crest Insurance homepage. It'll be under their Claims Prevent blog. And I do believe, Dave, you will be sending this out as well. So hopefully we'll have a lot of people watching this because this is a lot of information. Again, thank you both. Very, very well done. Really appreciate it. Our pleasure.